in my heart, I just, you know, I, I say I love you, Lord. I know I'm, I'm up here leading, but I'm also worshiping from my heart, searching my own heart. And I began to say, Lord, you're just so holy. Thank you. And he didn't deny it. Yes, he's holy. This is what he wants me to say to you this morning. That though he is holy, you can reach out and touch him. He is approachable. He's also your best friend. He's also your brother. And he's here. He's here. And he wants you to go to him. As one would go to a brother that he trusts and just tell him everything that's on his heart. Yes, he's holy. But he wants to be your friend. He wants to be the one that sticks closer than a brother. That you know will never leave you nor forsake you. So even this morning, receive that from him. Jesus. There's a closeness that he wants with you, that he wants with me, that he wants with each and every one of us. That's what he's talking about today. In him we can be his friend. So Jesus, we say yes, Lord. Go deeper in us, Lord. Shine your light of friendship on every heart. And he says, yes, I'll even take care of that loneliness if you let me. That's the kind of friend he is. So you just begin to tell him, yes, Lord, I honor you, Lord. You are my friend, Lord. I receive this from you. I offer you my friendship back. I reach out and I touch you. I receive from you, God. The Lord says, you have come so far in me. You have made so much progress. There are so many things that you have left behind. So many things that you have mortified out of your life that you don't even know have been removed. You have made so much progress. And I am greatly pleased with this progress. And I encourage you to continue. Continue pressing into me. So much has changed here in this place, when you come together, you are not the same that you were many years ago. You have made great progress. And there is even more to come. And I encourage you, continue pressing in. Continue doing this. Because you are getting closer and closer to an experience with me that you've never had.
When my word speaks about my glory filling the earth or filling a place, I want you to know that is still true today. My glory will fill this place. Continue pressing into me. Yes, I could move sovereignly and fill this place with my glory now. But some would misinterpret that to mean you have fully arrived and can ease up on pressing in. That's why I am not moving in the way that I could move. Because I don't want you to think that you have fully arrived. Yes, you have made amazing progress. Far more than most churches. But I don't want to do something that could hinder your progress. And for some, a great outpouring right now would hinder that progress. Some would slow down. And so I'm leading you by the hand deeper and deeper into my presence. Continue doing what you're doing because you have made great progress. And if you will continue, you will make even more progress. More things of the flesh will be mortified. Things that you think mean much to you when in reality, they don't mean as much to you as what you think. You are conforming to the image of the glory of my Son. Continue pressing in. Continue to do this. And the levels of my presence and glory in your midst will increase. Hear what I say. I am moving, and you are making progress, says the Lord. Before I get into the message today, I need um, a couple of volunteers. I need a volunteer from this side and a volunteer from the other side here to help pass these things out. So, Lee, thank you for volunteering. And Alice is volunteering over here. There we go. Now, one, just one sheet per person. Now, when you receive these, please do not start reading until I say, okay, let's read. I normally don't do this because usually that kind of shoots the sermon in the foot. People start reading, and they get partway through it, and then they jerk their head up and say, what do you say? What do you say? So, please, just uh, wait until I let you know, and then we'll all take a look at this. For those of you... Watching this, you're saying, well, I don't have a handout. No, you don't. Not if you're watching live. But what I'll do is um, add this as a PDF that you can download and print out. Everybody now has one. All right. Now please turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. You know, what's interesting is that last Sunday morning... This was the sermon that I was going to deliver. And uh, the Holy Spirit decided that we need to just spend more time in worship. I'm okay with that. 
because worship will usher in the presence of God, sermons cannot. Seriously. You know, you may say, wow, that sermon was anointed. But a sermon cannot ever usher in the presence of God. You want the presence of God, you worship. You praise the Lord. And um, anyway, it went a different direction. Well, then, Sunday night, Jamie ministered, and it was really interesting how that what she ministered kind of went along the lines of what I was going to share on Sunday morning. So I thought, well, now this is really neat. So, um, you know, you're going to get it this morning, and I don't know if you'll remember her message from last Sunday night, but if you do, you'll pick up on some similarities by the time we're finished here. Now, in Matthew chapter 5, we see the beginning of what is referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And this message that Jesus delivered, it starts in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. It goes all the way through to the end of Matthew chapter 7. It's one complete teaching. And really, it's not... Um, it's not necessarily everything he said that day, that time. It is a summary. And here's what I mean. Because all of the, the New Testament, including Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were written, you know, 20, 30 years after the fact. And so what happened is the Holy Spirit reminded the writers or the dictators, because, you know, Mark was not a part of the apostles. He didn't travel. But what he wrote was shared with him by, it's believed, by Peter. Um, anyway, so what happened was the Holy Spirit would give them what they needed to write. And so it wasn't necessarily every word that Jesus said, but it was the entirety of the message, if you understand that. So we have Matthew chapter 5. It uh, begins the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the sermon, in the sermon on the Mount is all about kingdom living. It is not about living under the law. And Jesus, and, I, and I, this is really interesting because, uh, well, for me, the further I go into God, the more that I understand about Scripture, the more I see the, the hand of God involved in establishing the order in which things were written. For example, the Holy Spirit moved on Matthew <clears throat> to write all of this. And so Matthew wrote all this. But then we make, we go, uh, you know, we progress from this on into the rest of Matthew. Then we have, you know, Mark, Luke, and John. But having this Sermon on the Mount right here in this place at the very beginning of the New Testament is sheer brilliance. Because this, what we're reading here, that's called the Sermon on the Mount, it is Jesus giving the introductory message of what it means to be alive and living in the kingdom. This is it. So if you read the Sermon on the Mount, even if you don't understand everything he talks about here, you know, the salt of the world and all if you don't understand all the nuances, just reading it gives you an introduction of here's what it's going to be like 
in the kingdom. Now, as you read through this, you know, Jesus makes it clear in Matthew 5 that I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. And, you know, you can go off on a lot of tangents with that, some good, some not. You can come up with some strange doctrine with that. But again, if you stick with Scripture, Jesus says, I didn't come to destroy the, <coughs> destroy the law or the prophets. I came to fulfill. And then he gets into, it's just so neat. He says, I, I didn't come to destroy, I came to fulfill. Then he starts talking about, here's, here's the fulfillment. And he says in verse 21 of chapter 5, you've heard it said. And in verse 22, but I say unto you. And in verse 27, you've heard it said. <coughs> verse 28, but I say unto you. And he continues with this. You've heard it said. It's been said of old. But I say unto you, but I say unto you. And what he's doing is, <coughs> excuse me, he's introdu- introducing a transition of living from how it's been, especially for the Jews, to how it's going to be when you're in the kingdom. In other words, it's a whole new way of living. And he was actually teaching prophetically, looking beyond his resurrection. Because once he had been raised from the dead, then people could be born again. At that point, well, let me, I'll just throw this out to you. When the apostles were first teaching, you start in, in Acts chapter 2 and go forward. When the apostles were teaching, what you read here in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, this is part of what they taught the people. And I can just see, you know, the, the apostles standing up in front of people and saying, now folks, you've heard it said. But I say unto you, (coughs) but the Lord says unto you. And they were teaching because Jesus said, teach what I've taught you. That's there at the end of Matthew. Well, if you look ahead to Matthew chapter 6, turn over there. In Matthew chapter 6, pick it up in verse 24. Jesus says, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold, fowls of the air. For they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spend. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, 
If God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, or ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought. I mean, you know, he's already said, which of you by taking thought? Verse 28, you know, why take ye thought? Verse 31, take no thought. In other words, don't get caught up in this. Don't worry about it. Take no thought, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles, or the lost, seek. (coughs) For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. You know, that's interesting. Because sometimes the way we pray, we act like God is clueless. God, where are you when I need you? God says, look, have you forgotten what my son said? I know that you have need of all these things. Sometimes there are things we think we have need of, we really don't. But he says, your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. You know that verse 34. There's a lot of people on social media. I ought to read that. I'm talking Christians. <laughs> because they are so caught up in whatever and everything. Well, here in Matthew chapter 6, there he makes that statement. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, seeking first the kingdom is not about getting born again. Because this is kingdom teaching. It's not an evangelistic message. In other words, he's not standing there telling the people, ye must be born again. But what he's saying is, seek first the kingdom of God. Now, because this is a a kingdom message, and it is prophetic, and it's directed to people who will be in the kingdom, then this whole thing of seeking first the kingdom, again, it's, it's not about being born again, it's about what you do after you are born again. Seek first the kingdom of God. Now, herein is the challenge. Because we're being told to pursue the standards of a dimensional existence that is not associated with our physical senses. When we're seeking first the kingdom, it cannot be about what I feel. It cannot be about what I have. It cannot be about what I don't have. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, that means, if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto us. Either means that or it doesn't. God's either telling us the truth or he's not. So then that brings up a really interesting question. If we read all these 
basic necessity things that he identifies. And we are faced with great lack in those basic necessity things he identifies. Would that not imply we are not seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Then we're not seeking it first. He says, don't worry about these things. Yet, how many of us do? Well, if we're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then we won't have time to worry about what we don't have. He says, take no thought. Now, when he says take no thought, he's talking about don't worry, don't get all worked up. But another way to say that would be, Cast down the imaginations of all the stuff and seek first the kingdom of God. Bring those thoughts into captivity unto the obedience of Christ. Now when we see this, what he says, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let's think about that for a moment. The word seek implies a process. Now, the word seek implying a process means we're supposed to be progressing from where we are to where we need to be. See that? Now, when he says seek, that means the individual is responsible for the seeking. I hope you're hearing this. In other words, what he's saying here is, none of this is going to be a sovereign move of God. You seek. You do it. When you're in the kingdom, seek it. Because the next word after seek is ye. That is a specific instruction to each individual. I cannot seek for you. And you cannot seek for me. This is on me. It's on you. Seek ye. And then the next word after that is first. Now, what that implies is a rearrangement of priorities so that the instruction given becomes the primary pursuit. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first. So then, I have that responsibility. I've got to take a look at my life. and Okay, what what is the primary pursuit of my life? And if I'm caught up in all these things that he's identifying here and worrying about how am I going to do this, where am I going to get that, and so on, I'm not seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. See, this is very simple math, if you will. But we never stop to really look at this the way we should. And we don't get a hold of the full message. It becomes a religious catchphrase that we use. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And we all, amen, amen, glory to God. I feel that. You know, we get religious about it, but we don't grab a hold of what it's saying and then do it. Seek ye first. So I have to rearrange my life. You know, what are my priorities? What What am I really seeking? And then... What is it I'm supposed to seek first? <coughs> well, he tells me. The kingdom of God. No, so he says the kingdom. The kingdom. 
This kingdom is the place of existence wherein our born-again experience has placed us. From God's perspective, we are human beings living on earth, but spiritually, we are dwelling in the kingdom of God. This is one of the most incredible phenomena that absolutely defies physics, our physics. Because when you take a look at, uh, there, there are two forms of existence. The natural world existence and the spiritual world existence. Now the natural world existence has limitations. But the spiritual world existence, it presents a concept whereby two things can exist in the same spot simultaneously. Now, in the natural, we can't have that. But in the realm of the spirit, we can have that. Now, our minds don't understand it and can't grasp that because we're just, this is how we are in the natural world. But he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And what happens is, a lot of Christians look at this, and it's almost like seeking first the kingdom of God. We take the kingdom of God, we take, it's a, it's a kingdom. And it's almost like when we talk about it, we look up, like it's in heaven. You know what I'm saying? But it's not. It's here. I can't, listen, I cannot seek heaven. Now, I can go there, and hopefully, you know, I won't go there anytime soon. But I can go there, but I'm not seeking heaven. I'm seeking the kingdom. Kingdom is here now. Kingdom existence is in this room right now, even if we all leave. Because the kingdom of God, you know, the Bible says kingdom of God is within you. But the concept of the kingdom of God, that spiritual reality, it coexists all throughout the world, whether we know it or not. It's there. And yes, that concept of it being in us, the born again spirit and so forth. But anyway... And then he says the kingdom, and then he's, but then he identifies what kingdom? The kingdom of God. Now that's very critical because it indicates that this is not a kingdom pertaining to any worldly order. This is the kingdom of God. Well, God, in another place, Jesus reveals that God is a spirit. That means the kingdom is spiritual in nature. So therefore, when he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Okay, what's that righteousness part? That's the condition of our born-again spirit which originated with God. In Ephesians chapter 4, you don't have to turn to this, but in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, it talks about, you know, and put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So what Jesus is talking here, he's, he's telling us, you need to pursue something You need to pursue the standards of dimensional existence that is in no way associated with your physical senses. You you cannot grab a hold of a piece of the kingdom. It's just impossible to do that. So then, what does it require for us to do this? To seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. What does it mean? What does it require? Well, what it means is this, accepting that we right now, if, you're, if you are truly born again, if you've truly accepted Jesus Christ 
as your Lord and Savior, then right now you have dual existence. You're here in this world, but you're not of this world. Jesus even said, he said at first, he said, I'm not of this world. Well, you look like you are. Yeah, I know, because I have dual existence. It's just like um, here in this natural world, you can have a dual citizenship. Well, I'm a citizen of this country and I'm a citizen of the other country. I have passports from both countries. You say, well, how can that be? Well, that's just the way, it's, the way it can be. We have dual citizenship. We're citizens of this natural world, but we're also citizens of the kingdom of God. And he is saying, you have to make the priority in your life to seek after the aspects of the kingdom. Now, we also need to seek after the aspects of righteousness. What he's telling you is this. Once you get born again, you have been put in a place where you've never been, And you exist as a being, but you never existed before. I am the righteousness of God. I am righteous. He made me righteous. I'm born again. I have his righteousness. I never had that before. So therefore, when I get born again, I need to pursue first. Seek ye first. The comprehension, the understanding, the reality of the righteousness of God, because that is who I have become. If I get born again, and I just let it go, I mean, oh, I go to church, you know, I go to Sunday school, I do this, you know, I'm faithful, I put my money in the plate, and all this stuff. Okay, that is not seeking first your righteousness, the righteousness of God. It's not seeking first the kingdom, because now that you're in the kingdom, you have the ability to do things that are superhuman. Just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and see what Jesus did. He did things that defied human existence. Blind eyes opened up. People that were born with physical whatevers, they got healed. We call it miracles. Jesus, you know, he, he just did all of this. And the people couldn't believe what they were seeing. Well, he and he has right here at the beginning. He said, "Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and His righteousness." For us to do this, for us to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, it requires faith to believe the outcome promised will truly take place. What is the outcome promised? All right. We get born again. We're now translated out of the power of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. We are also made the righteousness of God. That's us. That's who we are. But we don't know anything about this. Therefore, we have to study to show ourselves approved unto God. You know, His Word. To be approved unto God. Studying His Word, the Word of Truth. We have to do this. Nobody does it for us. If if our concept of studying to show ourselves approved, studying to show yourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of Truth, that is all about seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Now, if the extent 
of me doing that is confined to my church attendance only, then, you know, as the world would say, good luck. Because it's not going to happen. And all these things that he's promised, the outcome, okay, it's not going to happen. What is the number one outcome? Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seeking first how the kingdom operates. How the, what are the principles of the kingdom? How does it work? Oh, what are the mechanics of the kingdom? And righteousness, my righteousness, what does that mean that I'm righteous? What is the power of my righteousness? What can I accomplish? What does it accomplish in me, etc. and so forth? What is the number one goal of all that? Now, some people might say, well, you know, it's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and well, it's signs, wonders, and miracles, and casting out devils, and it's the presence of God, you know, it's revival. No, n- none of those are the primary, none of them. The primary, well, you can read it, don't turn, you can read about it in 2 Corinthians 3.18. The primary, the number one goal is conforming to the image of the glory of Christ. That is the number one goal. And so what happens is, as we are seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, we have to believe that we can become a genuine, true reflection of Jesus Christ himself here on the earth. We have to believe that. And quite frankly, I don't think too many Christians really believe that. Because if we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we see the Jesus recorded in here, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, we see all of that, and then we see that we can be conformed to the image of the glory of Christ, and we realize, wow, I can be this. Not, I mean, I'll never die for people's sins, you know, I'm, uh, crucified, shed my blood for the redemption of... No, I'll never do that. But all the rest of it, I mean, here's my potential. See, if we really believe that, then we would be pursuing. Let me put it like this. If I stood here right now and I, I had a suitcase, you know, or like a briefcase, and I open it up and I show you it's jam-packed full of $100 bills. And then I close it and I say, all right, there's $10 million of cash in this, in this bag, in this briefcase. Then I take this briefcase, I put it all the way at the end of the property, way out there. And I tell you, all right, if you want it, go get it. It's yours. And it is pouring down rain. Or maybe it's uh, snowing like crazy and there's already, you know, three feet of snow out there in the field. But you know, that, that briefcase is out there. You know it is. Would you go get it? Oh, yeah. You... Hey, if all you had on was your swimsuit, you would go get it. You know you would. And the wind is blowing and the, the I mean, the, you're having to use a tracking device to find that suitcase because the snow is coming down so hard you can't see. It's dark. It's nighttime and all the, and you're, you know, the wind is blowing. And you're out there, you're shivering, you got goosebumps the size of golf balls. But you know, you know, That briefcase and $10 million is waiting for you. 
And you wouldn't care if it took you all night. You would go get that briefcase. Everything else in your life, all your favorite TV shows, the game you wanted to watch, all that stuff, you know what? <laughs> Suddenly you're not thinking about that too much, are you? There's $10 million out there. Well, glory to God, I'll get me $10 million. I mean, who cares about the game? Who cares, you know, the next episode? Who cares? I got $10 million out there. You know what you do. You absolutely know what you would do. All right, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And he says, the number one goal in all of this is that you can become like me. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then along with that, yeah, you're also going to have signs and wonders and miracles, casting out devils. You will have the presence of God and His glory. You will have an outpouring. You will have revival. You'll have all of these things. And number one, you'll be conforming to the image of my glory. Now see, if we really believed all this, don't you think we'd be pursuing a little bit more? We, we know what we would do for that $10 million. And that's the kind of thing that Jesus just got through saying, take no thought about this. Why are you worrying about what you're going to put on tomorrow? Why are you worrying about what you're going to eat? Well, you know what? Religion has, um, has sadly trained us to take thought for all these things. The prosperity message. You know, just hammered it into us. We gotta have, we gotta have, we gotta have. <clears throat> and Jesus is saying, take no thought, take no thought. What this requires though, is faith. Faith to believe that we can become and have and do everything he says. It requires faith. Now I stood here and I all I did was stand here and talk about a briefcase full of cash, ten million dollars of cash. And you know what? In your mind you could visual visually see that suitcase. Now, some of you might have had a you know a, a blue case, some might have had a red, some might have had polka dot, some might have had one with animals printed on. It doesn't matter. Bottom line is this at least for a flash moment, you saw the briefcase with all that cash in it. And you were thinking, I hope he really does that. <laughs> and when I was talking about going out there in the field to get it, you could see yourself, you saw yourself going through that field. And when I talked about the driving rain, you saw the rain. And when I talked about the snow and how deep it was and being at night, you saw that. When I mentioned it, you saw it, you envisioned it, and you envisioned yourself fighting in your swimsuit, <laughs> shivering, going after it. You saw that in your mind. When Jesus is talking about these things here, when God is presenting this in His Word, you know what He's saying? I want you to have the vision of this. 
Jesus said, the works that I do, you shall do also. But you've got to believe. See, we have to come to that place of truly believing it's possible. But because it's all related to a dimensional experience that does not require our physical senses, then we tend to dismiss it. And yet, right now, every single one of us, we possess the kingdom potential to do all of these things. Now, you have a handout. Now, many of you are familiar with the story of the rich young ruler. Now, that story is recorded in Matthew 19, Mark 10, and Luke chapter 18. And what I did was go through and take all those verses and combine them into one single narrative. I did not change um, words or add words. But now look at this. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one, a certain ruler, running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do? What good thing that I may inherit and have eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is, God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou knowest the commandments. Thou shalt not commit murder. Thou shalt do no murder. Or thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and thy mother. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth up. What lack I yet? Then when Jesus heard these things, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing. If thou wilt be perfect, go thy way. Whatsoever thou hast, sell all, and give and distribute to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he was sad, and went away grieved, very sorrowful, for he was very rich, and had great possessions. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he looked round about and said unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, astonished, astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? But Jesus, looking upon them, beheld them, and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but not with God. With God all things are possible. The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then answered Peter, and began to say unto him, Behold, lo, we have forsaken all, we have left all. And have followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Jesus answered and said unto him. Verily I say unto you. There is no man. That hath left house. Or brethren. Or sisters. Or father. Or mother. Or wife. Or children. Or lands for my sake. The kingdom of God's sake. And the gospels. Who shall not receive manifold more. A hundredfold now. In this present time. 
houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life, life everlasting. But many that are first shall be last and the last first. And what I found interesting is when you combine all three of those narratives, it just seems to give a greater, um, more complete image of what happened. Nevertheless, if you look in paragraph 8, you notice the little numbers, the, the P1, P2, and all that. Okay, look in P8, paragraph 8. Jesus was talking about, you know, how hard it is for a rich person to get into the kingdom of God. And it says that the, the disciples heard it. They were exceedingly amazed, astonished, astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? Well, the, word, the phrase exceedingly amazed. The word exceedingly comes from the Greek word sphodra, and it means greatly, very much. And the word amazed comes from the word, the word ekpleso, and it means astonishment, knocked out of one's senses. In other words, you ever heard somebody talk about uh, something they saw or they heard? They said, that floored me. Okay, <clears throat> well, that's kind of uh, a way this is, this is what this word means. Then it says that they were astonished. Well, that word astonished comes from the Greek word thembeo, and it means to astound, to be astonished, or to be stupefied. And then there's the phrase astonished out of measure. Well, the word astonished, again, is that word ekpleso, you know, knocked out of one's senses. But the phrase out of measure comes from the Greek word perisos, and it means superabundantly over and above. In other words, there's so many different words that are used in the Greek to describe this. What he's presenting is the image of the apostles hearing something they've never heard before, and it totally, completely contradicts what they have been taught in the past, they are shocked at what they're hearing because they always heard that, well, the more money you have and the more stuff you have, well, that's God's sign of approval that you're in good standing with Him and assured of having eternal life. And in Jesus, He's turning right around and He's saying none of, none of that is true. But this is what they'd always heard. This is what they were expecting. And then Jesus says it's not true. What's interesting is that he could have said, Fellas, do you remember what I was saying there in Matthew chapter 6? In other words, do you remember the Sermon on the Mount? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. What, uh, what the disciples had heard was, essentially, the pursuit of more means when you get the more, you have found the favor of God. And Jesus turned this totally around and he says, no, the pursuit of more, it actually takes you away from the things of God. It's not a sign of his approval and his blessings. So then, what we're presented with here is a very unique concept. When Jesus told this guy, Sell everything you have, give to the poor and follow me. The guy was, he was, he was Jewish. He was challenged. I can't, how could I do this? Oh, how do I know he was Jewish? Because Jesus told him, you know, keep the commandments. 
Gentiles didn't know the commandments. All right? So anyway, it, it was a heart issue, not a possessions issue. And so when Jesus said, sell everything, in essence what he was saying is, what means more to you? Pressing into what eventually would be salvation, following me, because he said, take up your cross, follow me, following me to hear what it takes to have eternal life, to find out what the real riches are, so on and so forth, or, or your stuff. What means more? The, the acquiring, the doing for the acquiring and the holding on to the acquired. What means more to you? Well, this guy, he was too challenged. He couldn't give it up to take up the cross and follow Jesus. Now, we read this and we think, well, I mean, I get it because, well, you know, um, yeah, I understand why that guy was so challenged. But would we be equally as challenged? You know, and you're thinking, good glory, Pastor Jim. Man, I don't have much to give up now. I mean, really, you know, the the electricity's bill is due and believe in God for the money to pay that. You know, what else is there to give up? Okay, I'm not talking about that. Remember what Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. He wasn't talking about uh, becoming a minimalist, he's talking about prioritizing your life. Seek first. He didn't say it was wrong to have the stuff. He says, if it was wrong to have it, he'd have never told you it would be added unto you. He says, seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And I have encountered so many Christians, the priority in their life is everything else. I've been like that. In fact, I, I examine my own life to find out how much of me is still like that. Because it's got to it's gotta be dealt with. It has to become, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and who you become in Christ. Look over in Matthew chapter 14. Now keep in mind that this story of the rich young ruler was recorded... Did I t- what did I tell you to turn to? I was wrong. Turn to Luke 14. I apologize. Told you the wrong thing. Luke 14. The story of the rich young ruler is recorded in Luke chapter 18. Now most of you, uh, you're pretty good with math, and you realize Luke 14 comes before Luke 18. Yeah, I, 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 really? Shocking. Now, you'll understand a little more why that's so important in just a few moments. In Luke chapter 14, look here in uh, verse 15. And one of them that sat at meat with Jesus heard these things and said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then said he unto him, Jesus said unto him, the man, A certain man made a great supper and bad many. And he said his servant at supper time, to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they with all one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord all these things, 
Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And his servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Verse 26, If any man come unto me, and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters and yea, his life, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. See that? And then he continues and says, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth ambassadors and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Now look at this. Jesus talked about Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What we see here in Matthew chapter 14 introduces us to part of what this seeking entails. Now let me just kind of jump ahead real quickly and touch on this. When it comes to seeking first the kingdom of God, what it comes down to is prayer, fasting, worship, and the word. Now that's it. Prayer, fasting, worship, and the word. So therefore, if we truly believe that those doing those things will get us to the place of conforming to the image of the glory of Christ along with everything else that is promised, would we not do that? See, it isn't that we don't want to be that. It's that we're challenged to believe that prayer, fasting, worship, and the Word will get us to that place, especially when we begin to think about the time that prayer, worship, and the Word is going to require. Because what that means is, I have to begin prioritizing my life so that the seeking aspect of prayer, worship, and the Word, the time constraints, become more valuable to me than all this other stuff that I do. The TV that I watch. The, do you realize, you know, a lot of, a lot of people want to criticize men. All they want to do is watch, you know, sports on television. You know what? There are a lot of women, their garden has become their God. They've got to have the best looking flowers, the best looking everything, the best and all that. It just, and we could go through all kinds of examples. The point I'm making is this. If we believe this, then we will pursue it. Because we're pursuing what we currently believe. And if I believe that watching TV is really to my benefit, well, I can do that. Now, granted, I know, I can sit and I can watch TV and I can pray in tongues the whole time. And there is benefit to that. But, every one of you understands where I'm coming from on this. Here in Luke chapter 14, this introduces part of what seeking entails. He says, first off, there's the invitation. And the invitation is what? Come to the table of the Lord. And when you come to the table of the Lord, what are you going to do? You're going to feast on what has been prepared for you by the Lord. This is the imagery here. But these folks, some of them made excuses. 
And then Jesus continues in this. And he says, look, folks, if anybody comes after me and they want to be my disciple, here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to take mom, dad, wife, children, brothers, sisters, your own life, all the things about your life. You know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to put them down here and me up here, seeking first the kingdom of God. Because if you don't do this, you cannot be my disciple. And I mean, we could go off on crazy tangents with this. And I know people twist my words. This happens. But do you understand what Jesus is saying in here? Now, I'm going to point something out. He's saying, and this is him. This is not my instruction. This is him. He is saying, your relationship and your walk with me has to become more important to you than your own family. And there are a lot of Christians, they've got family above everything. Family is the most important thing. No, it's not. Not... Now, this is Jesus talking here, guys. Don't, don't be throwing your rocks at me. This is Jesus. And he says, look, you have to put your whole family and everything about your life beneath me. Now, this isn't talking about neglect. You know that. Then he talks about, you know, building the tower and, uh, you know, going out the king, making uh, war and so forth. He's not talking about us that we have to go build a tower. No, what he's talking about is this try to keep it short here. Christians that stand up and say, I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus. Do you hear me? Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm going to walk in power. I'm going to walk in anointing. I'm going to, we're going to do this. And and so we we keep talking about what we're going to do, what we're going to do, what that, what that is uh, symbolized uh, here in this passage where Jesus says, yeah, you say you're going to start building your tower, but you don't have sufficient to finish it. Well, what is the sufficiency necessary to finish it? The faith to believe that doing these things is going to produce the results. The faith to believe that the prayer, the fasting, the worship, and the word will get you to the place of truly being my disciple, conformed to my image, replicating me to the world. I'm as guilty as anybody else in this because, you know, I've taken this too lightly in my own life. Now, I've made a lot of improvements. But there's more to go. And you know what? If there's more to go in me, guess what? There's more to go in you. (laughs) Do you understand what he's saying here? And when he talks about the war, you know, one king going against another. Okay, symbolically, here's one way to look at that. I'm going to wage war. Really, who are you going to wage war against? I'm waging war. You're going to wage war against the devil? Nah, the devil, he's not my problem. I'm going to wage war... Against my flesh. Then you find out you've only got 10,000 soldiers and your flesh has got 20,000. Do you understand what I'm saying? And then he says, you know what? You better sit down and think about this. In other words, if you go against 20,000 flesh soldiers and you haven't prepared yourself to do that, You're going to get whooped. How do I prepare myself for that? Prayer, fasting, worship, and the Word. That is an attack on the flesh with the kingdom weapons, not the weapon of my will. And then he's saying, look, let me summarize. Whosoever 
of you, verse 33, that forsaketh not all that he hath, you can't be my disciple. Again, this isn't neglect. It's prioritizing. Now, here's what's interesting. He talks about, um, in paragraph 11, at the end of it, you know, many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Well, relative to what we're studying here today, that phrase, the last first, first last, that comes from the Mark 10 uh, recording of this story. But the first last, the last first, the people in, in Luke chapter 14, verses 16 to, through 20, you know, well, I bought lamb, well, I've got the ox, well, I just got married. Okay, that's, that's just a sampling of excuses. That's putting self first and time at the Lord's table last. Then, when we get to verses 26 through 33, he is explaining to you, to us, what it means to put self last and dining at the Lord's table first. See that? Now, remember, this teaching is in Luke 14. The passage that we read about the rich young ruler, that is in Luke 18. What we read in Luke 18 is really a continuation of what Jesus was teaching here in Luke 14. And you wonder, okay, well, I'm not really sure I understand that. Let me show you. Look here, what Jesus says, Luke 14, verse 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father, mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What did Jesus say to the rich young, or to Peter, when Peter was wondering, how is all this possible? Jesus said, there is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake, the kingdom of God's sake, and the gospels, who shall not receive manifold more, a hundredfold now, in this present time, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mother, and children, and, and lands with persecutions, and then in the world to come, eternal life. Do you see what he's doing? He's continuing his teaching, because he says, if you don't reprioritize and put all that stuff secondary to me, to the point that you're going to be criticized, and, and you're going to be told, I, me, personally, I have, it has been said about me that I, uh, I love church more than family. That's what's been said about me. Okay, you know what? If you truly understood God's instructions to the body of Christ about being together as a congregation, it's revealed prophetically in the Old Testament. It's confirmed, manifest, manifested in the New Testament. If you understood that, then you would understand why, as a Christian, your priority needs to be gathered together with fellow believers as opposed to going to a family party with a bunch of beer-swigging people who don't care about church, don't care about Jesus, and, and in some of them, they're Christians, but they still don't care about being at church. And, and you're going to be accused, well, you, you just don't like your family. Excuse me, why don't you read the Bible and find this out? I've been accused. Well, you know, he puts church above family. Me, I've been accused of that. It's like, well, number one, I understand the value and the importance of me being here with everybody else. But number two, to look at it from a worldly perspective, this is my job. What do you... 
What, how many people take off work and say, well, yeah, my, my uncle's cousin's nephew's brother's sister twice removed uh, is having a birthday party. I ain't going to be there. Sorry, boss. Yeah, how, how long is that going to go over? Some companies, they'd fire you the first time. No, no, no. Uh-uh. From a worldly perspective, this is my job. I got to be here. You know what I mean? This is my job. I show up to do my job. I'd show up anyway, whether it was my job or not. But this is what I do. So for somebody to say that I esteem and, and you know put church above family, do you not understand? Well, no, obviously you don't, or you wouldn't say that. You wouldn't be telling, well, can't you get somebody to fill in for you? Well, yeah, if Kathy and I ever take a vacation, somebody fills in. If I go on a ministry trip, yeah, somebody fills in. But you're wanting me to find somebody to fill in so I can just go off and do whatever, whenever, wherever to make you happy. You didn't die for me. You didn't shed your blood for me. And I'm sorry if this offends you, but according to the Word of God, I must seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And I'm telling you right now, just try that. If you're not doing it already, just try it. See what kind of response you get from your family. It, it won't be pleasant. But you know what? Jesus says, if this is your pursuit, you become my disciple. And again, this is not about neglect. See, no matter what he's saying here in this, between the Luke 14 and the Luke 18... What he's saying is, no matter what we perceive that we're losing in this life by seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, no matter how much we think we're losing, Jesus is saying it ultimately is going to be worth it because you will gain. Now, I may end up having family members that hear this, and I'm not, I hope they don't get offended. But I am closer to people in the body of Christ than I am my family. Now, some of you, your family is pursuing God too. I get that. And so, you know, you're close to them. I get I totally understand that. But what I'm saying is this. In all my life, my best friends have been fellow believers. The people that I could depend on the most, fellow believers. And I had some folks, great friends and so forth in the world. But see, we're only going to understand this. This kind of takes me back to where we started. We're only going to understand this when, by faith, we press into that place with Him. Because that's what it requires. I don't know how in the world am I going to do this. You know, I, I can't just, you know, turn my back on my family. He didn't say turn your back on your family. He said make the kingdom of God and His righteousness, the priority. He never said abandon them. Never. He just said get the priorities right. And see, you keep this in mind. You get these priorities right. And we, if we believe that um, the prayer, the fasting, if, no, if we believe that that $10 million in that suitcase is at the end of the property line and that it requires prayer, fasting, worship, and the Word to get there, you know what we're going to do, don't you? You know what we're going to I mean, you're going to say, hey, I don't care how long I have to go without food. 
Because once I get that $10 million, I can buy a grocery store. <laughs> I can buy a, a restaurant. See what I'm saying? We just simply are challenged. We don't want to admit it this way, but we're challenged to believe these things can really happen for us. That we really can be conformed to the glory of the image of Jesus Christ. We're challenged to believe that. And, and let's just take it even further beyond a challenge. And, and I'm here too, guys. We really don't believe it. Not the way that we'd like to say we do. We really don't believe it. And so Jesus is saying, look, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's a whole new venture. It's a whole new process, a whole new journey. But if you will have faith for this journey and you do these things, I guarantee you by my blood, you will have everything I've promised. Praise God, man. So, you know, i got to shake the dust off my own feet and get with it. Guys, we all do. See, the outpouring of the revival that we're after, what we're pressing into, it's not something that's going to last a couple of weeks, a couple of months, a year. No, we're talking about something that is going to be initiated and last until Jesus comes back and we hear that trumpet. That's what we're after. And praise God, folks, we can have it. All of us. We can have this. So, let's demonstrate some faith and start doing these things. You say, well, I already am. Well, praise God. And, I'm, and maybe you're doing everything that you can at this point in your life. Glory to God for that. But if you keep pressing in and you keep talking to God about this, He's going to help you see where maybe some other things could be rearranged. Maybe some other things that are not as important as what you now think. They can be eliminated. It's different for every single person. But folks, this is a reality. And we have to have faith for the journey. And if we do, we'll make it. And we will see God's promises come to pass. Praise the Lord.